0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary.
0: From today's sponsor hey everybody
2: mr dave here i want to tell you all about oh mr dave mr dave hey arnold what can i do for you i was just about to tell everybody all about the show that's why i'm here i thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial oh yeah what's that in song it's educational it's sensational it's our puppet invitational to join us each week for some fun sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn, or some snacks, and get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be worrying and your brains will be stirring. It's the show you'll want to say. It's Fun Time with Mr. Dave. That was a great idea, Arnold. You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next
0: time. Welcome, everybody. Today we are going to be talking about the next big book that Wizards of the Coast has announced is coming out, uh, and it is one that I know I am really, really excited about because I have played games in the Demi Plains of Dread for easily... Ever since it came out in 2nd edition, and ever since, and certainly in 3rd edition, Ravenloft was one of my absolute favorite campaign settings to play in. Lee Wanika and I, when we, were, uh, when we were newly friends, played in probably one of the greatest sets of campaigns that I have ever played in, uh, and all of those took place... In Ravenloft. Uh, In fact, anybody who has heard me talk about my my dear beloved swashbuckler, the storyteller of that campaign will chuckle to himself when I say this. Uh, I just realized that that freaking swashbuckler is also in Ravenloft or going to be shortly. He's in the same freaking world. But anyway, we digress. So Ravenloft. Wizards of the Coast has announced Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. It's coming out in May of 2021. Lee Wanika, throw it to you. How about your thoughts?
1: I love the Ravenloft setting. When it was originally pitched to me as a a setting to play in, I was a little worried about it because I had seen it not done well previously. I played the Ravenloft module in 2nd edition. I have seen lots of Ravenloft material because it proliferated in 2nd edition and loved the 3.5 Ravenloft stuff. Uh, Swords and Sorcery had a series of books that came out in addition to the original Ravenloft book. Josh, Your Dumb Fear came out of that book. I mean, there's just so many great things that came out of it. And those campaigns were amazing. I just loved everything from the artwork to the story content to the methodologies. And I love the fact that it allowed for much better storytelling because there was a central conceit, certainly in the campaign we had. You weren't beating the Lord of Dread. What you were able to do was eke out survival. And that was interesting to me. That was how do you get through it? That was, we'll beat his minions, we'll do whatever, but at the end of the day, we are still guppies in this big fishbowl. And I thought that was a really neat concept. Uh, and I look forward to an expansion on what we have in 5e because what we got so far was just an adventure path. It's just an adventure module. And understandably, one of the better reviewed and mo- most frequently talked about adventure modules. In fact, I think there are like three or four podcasts that I listen to where the showrunners of those podcasts are either running or playing in a Curse of Strahd game. That says something about the power of this particular IP. It says something about the power of the stories that can be told there. The fact that something that has effectively been the same module since the 80s is still being played and is still one of the best. Says a lot, and it was, of course, created by one of the best writing teams in in in, in uh, fantasy fiction. Uh, that being uh, Hickman and Weiss, they are a fantastic team who do incredible, long lasting, legendary Dragon work. Lance. And I think, yeah, Dragonlance! Dragon and and I this is one of their
2: earlier works. Wrong side quest, guys. Yeah, no,
1: wrong side <laughs> quest, but this is one of their earlier works. Plus, up 30 years and 30, 35 nearly 40 years. Uh, and I am absolutely over the moon looking for
0: it. Even if that
1: moon is blood so red. Good.
0: Yeah. Uh Glenn, how about you? So I know I know what Liuanika's experience with with Ravenloft is. Uh, how about yours?
2: So I'm gonna be honest, I haven't had a whole lot of Ravenloft experience. Back when Ravenloft in the eighties, the original, played it through once, and it was all right. But I think it was all about where I was in my life at that point and what I wanted out of my fantasy. And I was a lot more into high fantasy, uh, Lord of the Rings, um, the Belgariad, the Dragonlance novels than I was into horror fiction um, or the Call of Cthulhu game or, you know, but I've matured a lot as a person. And now I'm super excited about it Um, because now I really dig the concept not necessarily of running an entire campaign in Ravenloft, because uh, there's only so much gloom that my storytelling can take. And the world of Ravenloft itself, you can't fix it. You weren't, you're not wrong. You're not going to beat the big bad guys. You just got to learn how to live there. But do, using it as a world that a group or part of a campaign has to travel through or parts of it, I'm really excited about. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think the teaser we got with the gothic lineages that came out recently on UA and According to the the teasers of the book, have made it into the Ravenloft book, but we don't know at what versions yet. Um, personally, I'm really hoping to, that they took the advice of putting of advancing the uh, drawbacks of them, uh, like the the damn thirst if he continues to drink too much. But I digress. Anyway. Um, But I'm really excited about looking at the concept and the entire campaign setting and exploring it from the perspective of giving it 30 years later of a full polish and reboot um, or rebuff because I don't think they're going to reboot much because it was so successful. Uh, And I just really want to dig through it and pick out the pieces that'll work. For the games that I'm running. I'm really I think it's gonna be a whole lot of
0: fun. No, I totally agree with you. And uh just to confirm, you're right. The Domfear, the Hexblood, and the Reborn are all in the book with with finalized rules. And so I'm curious to see how those uh those subquests moved from what we saw in the UA uh into the finalized book. because um, I know the three of us I mean, we certainly had a had a bunch of feedback on on those. And the other two big kind of character options that they're talking about are uh, a College of Spirit Bard, so you're talking like, um, soothsayers and and things like that. You know, tarot readers and and that sort of uh, that sort of ilk, <clears throat> and then a a undead patron for warlocks
2: i'm surprised we don't have yet.
0: right and the uh the the way that that it's kind of being wrapped too is saying that um that those uh subclasses uh will both run on the post tasha's cauldron design principles which tells me a lot of customization a lot of a lot of power i mean the 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 subclasses that came out in tasha's um we have seen throughout multiple classes now are just more powerful than their earlier iterations. And they're more powerful in very very specific ways, which is why I think saying that the subclasses we're going to see in Ravenloft Uh, Are kind of following Tasha's it's like yep because Ravenloft is a very specific setting where you need to survive you need very specific skills you need very specific attributes you need very specific tailoring of your character to survive kind of in the the Demi planes of dread and so having subclasses which are tailored to that this is a good place to go ahead and put them. This is the, this is the kind of place that I would expect to see them as opposed to a kind of broad swath book like Tasha's.
1: I uh, love the, that, that extra bit of information that you were able to kind of dig up Josh. And I was wondering if you had anything on any new feats and or backgrounds that will be in uh, Van Richten's guide because as well as equipment and possibly weapons. Because I think. <laughs> <laughs>
2: have you read the book already, Josh? Could yeah, you just, can you tell, just me?
1: tell me what you've read? Because I know you have an in. But uh, that's kind of what I'm really looking forward to kind of knowing more about. Because in the realm of I run my own game, but I want to take pieces and parts of this and add it to. I want to add some horror elements to my existing game. Those are going to be some of the things. If I want to give somebody somewhat of a horrific, horrific background, I would lean towards do they have a background from which to draw? We've got the three lineages to draw from, but are there now backgrounds that kind of go along with that? Are there new, uh, and I'm sure there will be new animals, new monsters, things of that nature. But it's like each of, it. basically if there's a category in the player's handbook, I'm hoping Van Richten's Guide has a few new options for that same category in its book. So we could say, anytime you want to do some kind of horror thing, here's a way to borrow from this other book. Go to the same section, grab something from there. So you may have all these other things, but he has a tinge, a background of horror, or he's a a horrific lineage, but everything else is kind of regular D and D, you know, or he's got all, he's a regular D and D guy, but his weapons are have this horror flavor to them. Oh, and I think that's kind of what I'm excited for. That's what I'm really looking for.
0: So I have not read the book, obviously, uh, because it doesn't come out for another three months and we don't get mm-hmm. uh, we don't get advanced copies that quick in advance. We don't have an advanced copy at all.
2: No, not at all.
0: Hashtag call your boys, TTJ. Hashtag call your... I will happily proofread the new Ravenloft book for Wizards of the Coast. Mm. I'm available. Right. Uh, I, my, Exclusive review my will give you... fees are reasonable. But here's what I do know. And here's, here's what's out there is that they have brought in known history, uh, known mystery and horror, like how I took mystery and horror and made it history. That was, that was kind of fun. Um, they have brought in known mystery and horror authors, and the book includes 30 separate domains that live in the Ravenloft sphere. So when you talk about new NPCs, new creatures, new this, new th- yeah, I, it's all gonna that's all gonna be in there. I'm sure
2: it sounds like it's gonna be a very in depth like environment. So
0: you're gonna you're gonna get backgrounds and subclasses that are in there too. That's definitely in there. One of the things that has piqued my interest most. We talked about how it's kind of running in this post Tasha's setup. There's a new customization option which is specific to Ravenloft and it ties into these new lineages that they're tying out but it's uh it, they're calling this character customization option dark gifts which if that phrase in a ravenloft scope does not chill you to the bone i love it uh in terms of there are there are players out there that storytellers love. That's when Josh was thumbing through the book and thought that Dom Fears were an interesting character type, and that boom, instantly I'm playing one. If any player goes to a storyteller and says, "Please give me a dark gift," if that storyteller does not sit back and and thread his fingers and cackle maniacally, I'm not sure that they get to keep their storyteller card after that, because really, like they're called dark gifts. Dark gifts. That's what they're called.
2: You've at least got to go for an evil chuckle (laughs) while trying to play it close to the chest. Which one would you like?
0: (laughs) Perhaps two? (laughs) And and if anybody
1: doesn't know what the sound of that sounds like, it's very similar to...
0: (laughs) Well done. Of course you can. (laughs) So there's going to be all sorts of stuff in this book that is that is tailored to the Ravenloft setting. Um, I'm sure that there are going to be new creatures, there are going to be new NPCs, there are going to be there's going to be playing on all these classic tropes. Um, like I said, it's it's a it's a farm of of mystery and horror writers that are writing kind of these these little snippets. Um, and so now the question is uh, whether or not there are going to be uh, new feats. That I don't know, but certainly it looks like new. Ba- we're getting new backgrounds, and, and we already know that there are a couple new subclasses coming in. There are also going to be tools uh, for the Dungeon Masters, similar to Tasha's, like how to run a mystery and horror campaign.
2: And that i think is a good feature to add it's
0: a fabulous feature especially when you think about how they have just released this or they're going to release in a couple of weeks here a book of 17 different mysteries in the Candlekeep mysteries and mm-hmm. then what's the next book that comes after that it's the ravenloft book that is going to give uh dm's tips and tricks on how to run mystery type campaigns Right. It's a fabulous addition, uh, you know. A, a, a nice crossover in between, uh, in between those two books.
1: I'm looking forward to that as a great way to expand my toolkit as a storyteller. Yeah, I talked have about that. Yeah. lots of different books, tons of different tabletop games, lots of different experiences. We do side quests on a weekly basis for the purposes of expanding our knowledge base and our inspiration base for our tabletop games, but. Now we also have this great support from Wizards of the Coast producing official content that is also doing that, codifying some of those same things that we touch on or that we need reminders of or we need refreshers on so that we as storytellers can can use these things to make better game. So it's a real hats off moment to Wizards for making good planning choices to help us make better games. Because if storytellers are out there making better games, players have better experiences. They expand that to other players. That's how we grow the hobby. It can't just be a couple of us in a corner in a coven of good ideas. You know, it's not just like a bunch of hags, like a bunch of hags. It can't be the three of us cackling like we've got all the DM skills. (laughs) We can't just do that. Right? We have to spread our knowledge to other players at our tables, each of our tables, which have different people in it. Sometimes there's crossover, but we actually have to show them we're we're storytelling in a way that hopefully one of them will become a storyteller for another table.
2: Oh, and growing storytellers is the only way that you can expand the hobby, really. But I also wanted to throw in there, though, not to go to being a glass-half-empty guy. As I listened to us talking about... Um, Tasha's as having changed everything. And we've even, we were apparently in the process of coining a phrase of post Tasha's, which I think is cool. Um, And I really dig the direction that Tasha's is taking character backgrounds and character development and character flavor. But I want to throw up a cautionary flag of one of the things 5E did was simplify the game. Like part of the reason 3.5 got out of hand is because the skill system to create flavor got way too complicated. There was like, I don't know, 150 skills, and then when you got into the subclasses and kits, it was getting ridiculously complicated. Um, and they did a good job of simplifying it. I love what we're doing with Tasha's, but my concern is, and I'm just throwing this out there as a, an early warning system kind of thing, is that if we keep following that pattern of cool expansion, it's not going to be skills. Instead, it's going to be set up in background and class customization, but it's going to become super complicated.
1: I hear what you're saying. And I offer this diagonal view of opposition. I, I, I think I'm online with you. I think there's a limit to how many feats we can and should add, right? I think there's a lot of things we have. I think if we're adding something like Ravenloft, there needs to be some type of feat or something that's indicative of the realm, the Dread Realm's, Similar to, we have Fae Touch, we have Shadow Touch, right? Those are two new feats. And we did get a bunch of new feats in Tasha. So I'm not think, saying we should have 12 more feats, but two or three feats that are exclusive, not exclusive, like you can only have if, but that are specifically to give that Ravenloft feel, I think makes right. sense. So if you- Oh, I like feats. I think they're awesome. Uh, and similarly, two or three backgrounds that seem to be, that give a specific Ravenloft feel, Right. I don't think makes it overly complicated. If we did 20 feats or five to 10 skills that are dependent on something that is specifically Ravenloft, that's the danger of
0: going 3.5 with Or even reintroducing the feet trees. Now, I loved feet trees, but yeah, they definitely posed a, a degree of complication.
2: Yeah, with the prerequisites, those were cool. But beyond that, When you're looking at feats, what I'm talking about now isn't just about the number of them. It's about the different mechanics they're adding to the game Mm -hmm. on similar things that makes it confusing. Like in my exploring of the hex blood versus the hex blade, the hex blood gets its own innate ability to cast the hex spell as a bonus action. But the hex blade gets a special hex. They're very similar, but they're different. And they apply different numbers and different scenarios to effectively the same game mechanic that makes it more complicated. Or when... You've got, uh, there's a bunch of different abilities out there to change the outcome of a die roll. Anything from abilities that add or detract advantage or disadvantage to add a die four into a roll to see if you succeed. Or uh, most recently, the one that I was entertained by was um, with the hex blade in particular, as you get further up, one of the abilities becomes if the person that you have hexed attacks you, roll a die six, if they hit and on a four and up the hit becomes a mess it's a totally new metric for how to decide something that's never even been brought in before so if we're going to come up with all of these weird little modifiers and stuff when we just simplified the game from saying there's too many modifiers and stuff i think they really need to at least find a way to be more consistent so that i'm not trying to keep track of whether or not it's advantage add a d4 roll a d6 and see a four and up means it's a mess or one of the there, there's there's more I can't think of them all but a gazillion different little metrics and modifiers you're adding under die rolls now from feats and background but especially too and where things like but
0: that. the hex blood and the hex blade one's a lineage and one's a class so you could be a hex blood hex blade. then you've got you've got right, those like compounding right and one hex has one sets one set of rules and one hex has another set of rules and and you've got to know, you've got to be very explicit as a player which one you're casting
1: well. That really falls under, like you said, explicit as a player. So the player who has these things needs to be clear. The communication between player and storyteller about what powers I have and how I'm using them needs to be very clear. So I run a party who has a hex blade and that particular uh, subclass is very fun. It's exceptionally popular and I've seen him play it several times. So I, I know that he likes that. But sometimes, because I also run other people that have other abilities, I need to ask the question, which power are you using again or what have you? So we have to build a a communication. We've had to. uh, And it works very fine. We don't have too many issues. I run a loose enough table where if I made a mistake, we've been playing long enough where I feel I could kind of if I had to. But if I say, oh, we'll get it right next time, let's roll on. We're both okay with it. He trusts,
2: yeah, most of my players would be too. He
1: trusts me enough to know that I wouldn't, uh, I'm one not an adversarial DM. I'm a storyteller, and we're working together. So because of that, it works out. but it really does come down to Glenn's point that as we build out this game, we have to be very careful or we're hoping the creators who produce official content are careful in what they create. It's similar to what already exists both in naming and in effect and in process and avoid double naming things, avoid confusing coverage of abilities and
2: and, and whatnot. And that's what I mean. The game designer is responsible for that part. So if you're going to, and to be fair, we haven't seen the finished version of the Hex Blood yet. We just have the UA content. But taking an ability that already exists in the Hex Blade and creating it as part of a subclass feature as part of the lineage feature to create the hex bloods curse, making them different is just crazy. It should just be the same ability, except this guy's getting it this way and this guy's getting it this way. And you could even add in a modifier. If you do both, if you're a hex blood who later becomes a hex blade, you get a small bonus on top of that. When you use that ability, But creating them so close but different, one of them does a D6 necrotic damage every time you hit the person. The other one only does your proficiency bonuses bonus damage. It's like it's getting more complicated the more they add and they really need to pare that down.
1: And if they did that because the newer version sits within a cluster of metrics that would make it too powerful, then the answer is call it something else. It, a, a different name different flavor, eliminates that problem altogether. You could do the exact same rule and just call it something. Well, they have
2: a slightly different name. It's just close because, I mean, just the name of them, Hex Blood Lineage versus Hex Blade as a warlock.
1: I honestly would feel that because Hex Blade came first, let them keep the word Hex. And because these things are, are based on hags, and I get the reason they didn't want to go with hags, but right. they needed to find something else other than Hex.
2: Well Hags can be a patron for a warlock yeah, too.
1: absolutely. So it's it's one of those things where I think the I I think the title of that was probably a bit unfortunate despite the fact right. I really like the uh, the actual lineage itself. Oh, I do too. It's
2: creepy, but I I'm like I'm going
0: to crack open two sort of meta cons, two meta things about the Van Richten's book and I'm not sure that I would call them red flags but there are definitely things that I'm interested in, and they have nothing to do. with Red herrings? No, they're not. Certainly not red herrings. Um, I believe that the book, you know, at at, at 250 something pages, I, the book is going to have a lot of stuff in it that's going to be great. I have two kind of out of game concerns. First one is the turnaround from when that UA came out to when the book came out. I wonder.
2: Super fast. Uh,
0: I'm surprised. So we we all we all saw that UA come out. And we're like, haha, Ravenloft is coming. Ravenloft is coming in October, right? We figured line up right. with Halloween, mm-hmm. right? Give it a good six to eight months after that UA came out to go ahead and finalize those rules." And instead, about two weeks after the survey closed, they announced that that was the next book coming out. Which tells me that, which tells me that that book is probably pretty close to done, right?
2: Which means they already had it mostly written before exactly. they finished closing the which survey. How- so we may have gotten some. Input, But how How much? much?
0: And that's the question. And I don't think that the Hexblood was so horrifically broken that it needed a lot of change. But everybody that's listening to us now, if you want to get our thoughts on the Gothic Lineage's UA, check out that episode because... And we'll put that in the show notes in a link. We, we, went, we went deep into what we loved about the UA Gothic lineages and what we didn't like about them. And so that's that's a whole 45 minutes that you can spend.
2: Right. Without us recapping.
0: <laughs> the, the point is that we definitely had feedback for Wizards of the Coast about all three of those Gothic lineages. And I wonder how much of that feedback. Hey, I wonder how much of that feedback did we share with other people? Um, You know, how how right were we? But also how much of that did they take into consideration? And we're not going to know that until we get the hardcover book. And so I'm sure that when the book comes out and it's, it's not fair of us to judge them, but it does make me feel like with that quick a turnaround,
2: we didn't get the voice that they offered. I
0: I suspect if, if, If the Ravenloft book is anything like Tasha's, uh, we did three or four episodes on Tasha's. I am sure that one of the episodes that we do about the Ravenloft book will touch on those sub, those, those lineages and how they changed from UA to, uh, to the the new. And
2: hopefully we'll be surprised pleasantly.
0: Yeah.
1: Before you get onto your second one, I wanted to say Tasha's was four episodes aired. We actually had almost a fifth episode worth of content that we reserved and said, We'll wait to hear if anybody wants to hear that other bit um, on on Tasha's, uh, because we felt that at four episodes, it's a month. <laughs> We've been talking about content. Tasha's for a long time. <laughs> we we kind of, yeah we, we we wanted to we we wanted to let that one lie for a bit, uh, and it may be content that we will revisit a year from now to kind of talk about it on the anniversary, and we talk about uh, what Tasha's has done for the game over time. But uh, I think you're right. I worry about how much input not just the three of us, but anybody in fandom had on, on, on this book, there's a, there's an inherent promise when you put out a survey and because they're not necessarily sharing that data,
2: we'll never know. True. And we may be prematurely getting uh, worked up about it because I mean, some of the stuff they put in there sounds great. Like the way they teasered it, like quoting right out of the teaser from dungeons and dragons when they're talking about some of the stuff to expect in it, the way they write macabre lineages, dual edged dark gifts haunted subclasses and other forbidden powers really smacks of what we wanted out of it which is having the cool power also expand on the negative if you use it too much you know um so maybe we're going to get exactly what we're hoping for
1: so maybe they're going to tie in the dark gift to a failure uh uh, uh, on the part of the other things or maybe they're going to give the storytellers the latitude to provide dark gifts if there's a failure on the other things.
2: Yeah, they don't have to allow me that latitude. I just take it anyway.
1: <laughs> well, fair. Um the, you know, so there's that. Uh but it's interesting But that, they do
2: because that's the way they designed the game.
1: Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that though, Josh. And the reason I say that is because I was listening to a podcast and he had made the comment that when not wizards of the coast but when TSR originally did their surveys or maybe when they originally did their survey back in the 80s uh there was some question as to whether or not the survey was anything other than advertisement trying to make people think or buy into because they didn't because the product then happened so fast afterwards that there was and that was like multi-page hundreds of questions i actually filled it out a couple times back in the day but there was some significant question about how much was actually feedback that was used or was it just get people interesting so it was like pre-advertising.
2: Right. Building buzz.
1: I love the idea of getting buzz and that makes good sense. It makes good business sense. But to find out that your vote didn't matter is never a good thing. I think we've all lived through that. (laughs) a couple of times in the past bunch of years where that feeling, whether it's true or not, is an issue. It creates issues. So I would hope that if our ideas weren't listened to, I would hope it's because we were one of very few people who had that feedback. I don't think that's the case, but you know, if there were a hundred thousand people that, that filled out the survey and there's probably not that many, but we were one of five people that had that, that type of feedback, I'm okay with it not being in there clearly it wasn't the group opinion but i would also hope that it was at least looked at and that they were willing to make changes
0: even if in the end those changes didn't need to be made so the other thing that i wanted to talk about and again this is totally out of game um but i think that it is an observation that i had and it sort of it it suggests that uh that we are being heard you know um The Ravenloft book, the MSRP on the Ravenloft book is only $30 as opposed to the recent trend with the Wizards of the Coast book where they were closer to $45 and $50 uh, for the campaign books. So what should we read into the price point?
1: I think what we read into that is the campaign book, specifically Candle Key, is a collection of multiple creators that all need to make their money based on their labor that in theory should drive up the cost of that product. If you think about it from that perspective, you've got 17 different authors that are working on this one book. If you sold that at 30 bucks, the amount of money made by each author is would be significantly less than what a product that sells what we're thinking that will sell should be. And so I think the higher price point is more based on the creator number than, uh,
0: than anything else. So I like that. But I, I was also $50. And I think that that's, that's a much more direct parallel than probably from Ravenloft to Candlekeep.
1: I, I think you're correct. And I think your point is better made with that book than with Candlekeep is kind of what I'm saying. I agree with your point, but I think it's better made with with that.
2: I agree with both of you. I mean, obviously Cost of production is always going to play a cost in final product. So if you run something special about a book, if because of the authors you put together, it meant that it costs more to produce, then that book is going to be elevated. But I think what stands out to me more is that the $50 price range is the norm, not the exception, it seems. And the fact that they came down, I'm hoping is them realizing that they're asking a lot, hitting us up for 50 bucks every time they put out a new book. Uh, Three or four times a year. Especially the way that the the hobby is developing, because I don't just have to buy that book once. If I want the copy on my shelf, I got to pay my ducats to Wizards of the Coast. But if I want it on D&D Beyond, I've got to pay them. And if I want it on Roll20, I have to pay them. And if I want it on Fantasy Grounds, I have to pay them. I mean, it's getting a little bit out of hand from that perspective, and that's not Wizards of the Coast's fault. No, absolutely. But in terms of cost of the hobby, I'm hoping that they're starting to throw us a bone here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I agree with you, Glenn. And I think anybody listening to us needs to understand that we love content creators and we believe they need to get their due. This is not an, uh, 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 an assassination of content creators getting... The money they deserve to get for the products they produce not at all no it's about but it is about the realities of the hobby i started collecting this when i was getting into this hobby when i was 13 and 14 years old i got a job to pay for this hobby and a lot of my money went into paying for this hobby and that was way back when now that i'm uh, an adult with children with grandchildren with uh, rent with a car and insurance and all these other real world things like so many others of us have sometimes the decision on, I really want that book comes down to do I have the extra $50 is it right date night with my wife or is it buying this book? And, and, and if I'm running both live and digital games, sometimes it's I'll buy the digital right now so I can do the digital games. And hopefully I'll have the money when we get back to live games. So I buy the the live book. But in the interest of taking care of our local shops and our local shopkeepers and the people that we care about in our world, that's the piece I want to go buy the real book. I know speaking for the three guys that, that are on this podcast, we actually spend a good deal of time talking about the products as, that are coming up and how mm-hmm. we're going to buy them, who's going to buy what and, and whatnot. So it's like, cause we, right. we, you know, we need the digital and we need the other ones. Well, I think we're going to need this first. I read better with this one, you know, I really need it. It's been a month since I bought something from my guy. So I'm definitely going to buy the hard copy this time and I'll work on the digital two months down the road. Uh, you know, these are the real decisions that real people have to make. So mm-hmm. to Glenn's point, hopefully Wizards is understanding that and throwing us that bone. Uh, I don't want them to undercut the artists, but I do want them to understand that they, they're, they're, they're throwing out a big ask,
2: and I'm hoping that they realize that they're hitting, uh, to really help out that local shop guy too. I'm sorry, Lee, I, I had to throw it in. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of local small businesses. I know we all are on the show. Um, and one of the other podcasts I was in previously, we did an episode with local business and things that they did. And it's something we're actually planning on doing is working on local engagement with our shops, but that's the biggest struggle. With the price point is trying to justify when i'm telling somebody you got to support your local shop otherwise he's going to go out of business and we can't lose those live play spaces but they're like i i get it but at the local shop i have to pay the sticker price of 59 you know 49.99 but i can buy it on amazon for 35. so if they don't come up with a way to help adjust the costing profile not just to help us the end user patron but to set it up so that the guys over at the Citadel in Groton can grab that book at a price point where they can afford to sell it to me at least a little bit more competitive because I'm talking to guys about buy from your local shop and they're like, I get it. But, you know, saving 20 bucks, 20 bucks is 20 bucks.
1: 20 bucks is four days, is, is four days commute from my house to my job. That is a reality. The cost of one day book is the cost of my weekly commute. I bring home a paycheck based on that cost of one book. And that is an actual calculation that real people make every single week. These books may only come out four or five times a year, but people are living real lives
0: 365 days. Okay. So I know I am really excited about, about this book. Um, Lee Anika, why don't you give us your final thoughts? I absolutely love Ravenloft because I
1: don't care for pre-generated modules, even though there's good stuff in straw that I have already taken out and, and like to use. I am ecstatic and over the moon that we're going to get a book that is just content Uh, because now I've got even more that I'm going to be able to use, even create my own realms of dread. If I want to do uh, a a one shot just to take things out. Uh, And I think it dovetails nicely with candle keep. It dovetails nicely with the things I want to do. And I will be buying it both locally and digitally. So I can add it to my library that I have on D and D beyond So I can create really involved characters that utilize all these things. Uh, I really look forward to it. I absolutely do. And I think it's going to be a fantastic addition to the hobby.
0: Yeah, me too. In particular, uh, the Hexbloods are definitely going to find a a way onto my game table, um, even though I'm not necessarily in uh, in Ravenloft uh, in my game table. So, Glenn, how about you?
2: I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good time. Uh, from a content creator standpoint, I'm excited about the stories I'm going to be able to craft with it and the things I'm going to be able to work narratively into the modules that we're working on right now. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the rabbit hole. Well, I've told you all, but I'm not going to tell everybody else. The rabbit hole that I've gone down <laughs> is I've been researching hags and the hexbloods and the stuff that I'm creating for that. Yep.
0: I, I do love how they're how they're throwing storytellers a bone about how to run mystery stories i think that, that is a skill that's a skill you know we talked about that in was it the ua that we talked about about how i both no, that was the candle keep uh, yes, about about yep yep and we're like hey you know mystery running a mystery is hard boy wouldn't it be great if they put out a book helping us run a, and lo and behold what's in the new ravenloft book dm's guide on how to run mysteries so
1: You know, when we did that review, I said, when it comes to mysteries, I'm rubbish. I am flat rubbish. And that was my nod to our friends across the pond. And I repeat it now. I love the fact that we're going to get more tools to utilize mysteries and horror, those things that I'm not currently good at, that I love to play in uh, so I can get good at them, so I can get better at them, so I can start incorporating them. And along those lines... Glenn mentioned some of the things we did. I'm going to give everybody a little peek behind the curtain here at T- Tabletop Journeys. We have each made characters based on the three UAs, uh, and we've built them up with the purpose of letting them be seen by our patrons. And uh, and the idea is they're going really well. The rabbit hole Glenn spoke of uh, is is very much a, a similar rabbit hole with the one I did, and now I've got this whole village idea, this whole forest concept. And if they give me the way to build a Realm of Dread and I get to have a central village to that realm, I may have something I can really knock out of the park with. And, and Realms I'm of think-
2: Dread are like a little microsystem on Ravenloft. So for yeah. creators, we can make... You guys out
1: there in the audience, you tell us. What would you... what? How much would you like to journey into the mists with your Tabletop Journey storytellers into a realm of dread controlled by the three.
2: Would you like goosebumps or to be chilled to the bones?
0: Alright, y'all are creeping me out. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash Journeys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes,
1: Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our quest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop
0: oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.